Welcome to the Rennie Podcast, a podcast about the real estate market and the people connected by it. We seek to empower our listeners to make informed decisions while providing context for the real estate world around them. We hope that with every episode, you become a little more knowledgeable and a lot more curious. Hello, everyone. Today, we're discussing the latest residential real estate data across the Vancouver region for March 2022. We'll focus on the following three insights. Go big or go home. The Bank of Canada makes its next move. Last month's inventory was not a record for the first time in eight months and expect seller's market conditions to persist through the second quarter of 2022. My name is Justine Liu, a managing broker at Rennie, and joining me as always is Ryan Berlin, Rennie's a senior economist and director of intelligence, and Ryan Wise, our senior analyst with our Intel team. I'm also very excited to welcome Art Seraf, who has been with us since 2014 and has achieved Rennie leaders since 2016 and Rennie's President's Club since 2017. Also notably, in 2017, Art was named top 100 of Canada's top performing real estate agents aged 35 or younger. We have a lot to talk about today, so we're really excited to have you here, Art. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Looking forward to our new podcast. Yeah. Yeah, and it's been about nine months since you were here last. And at that time, last summer, you had a baby on the way. Yeah, now he's here. <laughs> How many months is he now? Nine months. Wow. The math checks out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, the last time you were on the podcast, Art, um, the themes of, of that recording or at that time in our market were uh, constrained supply, constrained housing supply, um, elevated demand. I think both of those features um, characterize our current market. But the other thing we talked about nine months ago was that we saw signs in the data that prices were plateauing. Um, that definitely didn't happen. So we got that one wrong. Um, and that's not necessarily something that we're seeing today because prices have been rising um, dramatically, but conditions aren't overall very different from where they were uh, in the middle of last year. Well, it's good to reflect back on what happened last year. So let's go into our first insight of what's going on right now. So insight number one, go big or go home. And the Bank of Canada makes its next move. The Bank of Canada doubled its overnight rate again in April from 0.5% to 1%. So Ryan Berlin, you talked about how we should expect a rise in path for interest rates during the previous episodes of this podcast. What makes this most recent announcement by the Bank of Canada so notable? So I guess the, the fact that the Bank of Canada actually raised its policy interest rate at its most recent meeting is not a surprise in and of itself, but the fact that they did increase it by 50 basis points or half a percentage point um, versus their more typical quarter point change um, was a bit surprising uh, to a lot of people. Um, it, it was somewhat unprecedented. Uh, we have to go back 22 years uh, to find a similar um, increase of that magnitude. Um, but I think it's a reflection of the bank really looking at a whole bunch of, of factors related to our labor market, which is very strong. Uh, wages are rising relatively quickly. Labor force participation, so the engagement in our workforce is pretty strong. Um, and of course, we're seeing elevated inflation. Um, and, and on that latter topic, inflation, consumer price inflation that gets reported on every month that everybody's very aware of these days um, is now at its highest in three decades. Um, and so the Bank of Canada is quite uncomfortable with how high inflation is. Um, and so the, the, the expected path of increasing interest rates by the Bank of Canada over the, the balance of the year and into, into next year probably becomes a bit steeper. Um, 
in other words, I think I think they're moving a little bit faster than they had originally uh, thought they would move um, to head off some of these imbalances that are starting to emerge in the economy. A lot of attention goes to that the 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 announcement of that that overnight or that policy interest rate um, because it has a ripple effect in the economy for sure and, and impacts a great number of people and businesses uh, and so on. Um, I think one of the announcements that the bank made that they that they just recently announced along with the increase in the overnight rate that doesn't and really hasn't gotten a lot of attention um, is that they the bank now is going to engage. Um, in, in what they call quantitative tightening um, as we as we progress through the year. Um, that might be an unfamiliar term with you. Most most people listening to this podcast might be more familiar with the uh, the cousin of quantitative tightening, which is quantitative easing, which the Bank of Canada and the Federal Reserve um, have engaged in over the past couple of years. And really that involves um, buying government debt, buying yields, uh, with the uh, result of driving the interest rates on those uh, those bonds uh, down. And so that actually lowers interest rates in the economy. So now things are turning around and the bank is looking at reversing that policy and selling, divesting themselves of their bond holdings, their debt holdings. And that is going to have the effect of increasing longer term uh, interest rates. So this, this program of, of quantitative tightening is going to most directly impact um, borrowers, homeowners uh, who have fixed mortgage rate contracts. Um, and so, you know, we know that most homeowners, most mortgage holders, um, I think about Ryan, you had said in the past uh, or recently, two thirds of mortgage holders were in fixed rate contracts with at least some term left, a couple of years left. So as the bank embarks on this program of t- uh, quantitative tightening, it will raise um, interest rates on fixed rate mortgages, but that's not going to have a direct impact for a lot of borrowers today. I think where we'll see a more direct impact on um, debt and debt servicing and on consumers and households is via the the overnight policy rate because that mostly influences things like the interest rate on home equity lines of credit, regular lines of credit, um, student loans, um, any interest rate that you might have on a savings account, and things like that. I think what's really interesting, you know, we're clearly you know in a period of increasing interest rates, and this is if we look back over the past fifteen years, this this represents the third. Um, uh, sort of cycle of uh, interest rate hikes. Um, and I think we all generally think that uh, when interest rates rise, home prices must must fall. Um, and I, there's definitely a relationship there. There's no doubt about it that all else being equal, if the cost of borrowing increases, um, the amount of home someone can afford is going to decrease. Uh, what's really interesting though, if you look at the data for Metro Vancouver, over the past 15 years, where we have seen periods of increasing interest rates, we've also seen um, periods of increasing home prices coinciding with that. While we don't necessarily see house prices decline as interest rates are rising, what the data do show us is that you know, six to 12 months after the conclusion of the rate tightening cycle, um, we do see a softening in this region's house prices of between 5 and 10%. And I think that given where prices are and how rapidly they've increased, you know, I think that that's a reasonable and, and relatively likely outcome for us, you know, beginning at the end of this year and into next year. 
Yeah, it's not an instantaneous thing. So um, there's often a lag between when the the rate hikes happen and before prices actually crest, let alone decline. So we do see that there will be most likely some price correction later. Um, and we know that the big banks that, uh, already this week as of recording have passed on that half point hike to their prime rate. So variable rate holders have already felt this impact. But to Ryan's point, we haven't seen, uh, we won't see fixed rate holders uh, affected until come renewal time. So there's a, a lot of people who aren't affected immediately. And so it, it does take some time for that to happen. Um, and so only about a third of those fixed rate mortgage holders have their renewals coming up within the next two years. So for a lot of these bor borrowers, they're still quite a ways away before the renewal comes up. So they won't feel it for quite some time. I think it's also important to consider why interest rates are changing because it usually, uh, well, virtually always reflects some kind of changing dynamic in the economy. And so I think we need to keep our eyes not only on interest rates, but on a whole variety of economic indicators as we progress through this year, which will tell us something about the housing market. Interest rates rising on their own won't necessarily lead to a dip in home prices. We also care about how many jobs we're adding to the region, how engaged our population is in the labor force via the unemployment rate, which is near a historical low. Um, we might see a little bit of softening in some of those, you know, some of those traditional economic indicators. Um, and that might in turn um, impact the number of sales and or, or the price levels, but it's it's not likely to be very dramatic. You know, another thing, there's been so much anticipation about what the Bank of Canada is going to do. Everyone's been expecting rising rates. And so I think the question a lot of people have had is by how much and how quickly are they going to raise rates? Uh, you know, will the, was the last one going to be a quarter point hike? Was it going to be a half point hike? Um, and so there's this sort of waiting game of seeing what the bank is going to do. And so Art, I'm wondering in your, when you're talking with clients, um, are you see people sort of playing wait and see right now? Or are they sort of wanting to know, oh, how is the landscape going to change? Uh, and what, what are they doing? Yeah, definitely. So the increase was anticipated basically since beginning of this year. And um, many mortgage brokers basically also kind of providing a little bit inside information to potential buyers, especially. So people who were in positions that they could get a property in January and February, they were rushing to buy because uh, you can secure good rate or, uh, but honestly speaking, like right now, for example, mortgage broker don't even recommend fixed rates. So they're asking like, yeah, you can get, of course, but why you need to pay like 1% more when you can get a variable? Sometimes it's going to be more than that, like in some cases, even 2% difference. So, and their point of view is that like, it's very unlikely that variable rate will be at the same level what the fixed rate right now within the next year or two, but you're still going to pay this huge difference. So what's the point to take fixed rate if you can get still variable? So, and it, like, honestly speaking, like, again, we all like good times when the rates are low, but like a few years back, we kind of on this roughly same level where we used to, and the market was still crazy in like 2016, 17, right? So it's not really like the trigger point, I would say. And most likely we will see it later when people are going to try to qualify and because of stress test, that's what's going to have effect. But again, I think it's just a small portion of kind of buyers who are actually very, very tight with their budget and they cannot afford to buy properties that they need in their budget anymore. So yeah, unfortunately they will have to either 
buy something else or just wait. Uh, but for most people, yeah, maybe you can afford a little bit less, but you still can afford to buy. For more expensive properties, people who earn a lot of money usually don't, don't have this issue or people with um, uh, high uh, amount of uh, equity available. So they're not going to have this issue. So I don't think it's going to really affect the prices at the moment. Totally. I, I don't think that you need a uh, mathematical model for forecasting prices to... Um you know, probably accurately predict that at some point they're going to crest and come back down. Um, but when you do look at our market as a whole, and we, we consider all of the, um, the, the, the so-called demand tailwinds, um, and there, there are a lot of them, um, on some level that, that is going to support prices despite all of the uncertainty that we see. And we talk about demand tailwinds, um, there are, there are a huge number of them, a lot of them demographic. We've discussed them before on this podcast uh, from uh, domestic uh, in-migration to the province and the region, record levels of immigration, um, kids uh, who are currently living at home or even moved back home during the pandemic um, who are you know expanding back into the dwelling stock. Um, I think all of these things will will support the demand side of the market. And so, you know, where prices go will really be, I think, in large part then dependent on what happens with available supply. Yeah, definitely. And another note, uh, two years ago when pandemic just started, uh, you had this discussion about the migration and uh, they still have like plans for 300,000 for I think like 2020s and 350,000 for 2021. And now they scale it up. And it's actually very noticeable. Uh, last year, basically like around the summer, uh, when some people can actually move in Canada, uh, it was very, very noticeable that like, um, I had some clients who were renting places, like in nine out of 10, uh, people were coming, coming from like Europe or States or other parts of Canada. And they don't even see the property. They just look, yeah, whatever available we're taking. But again, these people who just arrived here like six months, a year, like maybe another year or so they can get PR and they're going to be buying as well. So it's going to be additional stress on the demand while supply is super low. So yeah, that's a good point, and that's um, something that we can discuss in the second insight. Insight number two, last month's inventory was not a record for the first time in eight months. Instead, the total listings last month were merely the second lowest for March since 1989. So Ryan Wise, what does that mean? Can you break down the data? So it's a, uh, there's still a positive short-term trend here that we need to acknowledge. Um, when we talked about the all-time low for any month, that was back in December with just over 6,700 listings. Um, so the increase from December to March was 73, 73% uh, in just three months. That's a really big jump. Um, the reality is that we're starting from such a low point that we're still at a, we're a relatively low point. Um, but it, it's been a really positive increase. And the reality is that this hasn't come at the expense of sales activities. So we're still in elevated sales territory for March. Uh, we were in February, January as well. So this past March was the third highest March we've ever seen going uh, all the way back to 1980. Um, so if you look at the year over year comparison, which we often do, um, sales look really down in March. Of course, that's because March of 2021 was such an anomaly that was the busiest March, the busiest month we've ever seen. So 
Um, if you start to kind of unpack all of it, what we see is still elevated sales activity combined with rising inventory. So again, because of that, that year-over-year comparison doesn't really work as well this month. Uh, we looked at the month-to-month change. Um, so there's a typical seasonal pattern that you go from February to March. Uh, and so for sales, that's usually about a 26% increase. Um, you know, March is often busier than February, but you can still measure how much busier this March was compared to this February. Again, the typical increase is about 26%. Uh, this time around, it's 32%. So the pace of sales is increasing quite quickly, even as inventory comes up. Um, and then on the inventory side, again, if we want to do this month-to-month comparison, the typical increase is only about 7%. Uh, this time around, from February to March, we saw 19%. Um, again, things are picking up quite a bit and it feels like there's a lot more, uh, activity happening today. There's a lot more liquidity in the market, um, that relates to both supply and demand. Um, so yeah, it it does feel like there's more supply today. It feels like we've reached a bit of an inflection point in the market as it relates to supply. And so Art, I'm just wondering, you know, you work with, you work with buyers, you work with sellers, um, you know, what do you, what do you understand about their psychology in the moment right now that might help us better understand, um, this most recent expansion in inventory? Yeah, of course. Uh, I guess there are a few reasons for that. One of it, um, so the sellers kind of start feeling that maybe we are somewhere at the peak of the market. And of course, nobody wants to miss this like sweet moment when you can get top of the money and then brag about your friends for like <laughs> next three years that you sell, sold so high. Um, first of all, because I, of course, like the feeling that uh, something is changing on the market. Yeah. So secondly, uh, sellers start feeling that they actually can find a property if they sell uh, and don't be fair that they can stay on the street if they can find anything. Um, so yeah, and definitely it's getting a little bit easier to convince the seller to sell especially at more reasonable price based on this recent activity is a on the slow, slow down so all prices become more kind of predictable and it's easier for us as agents to help both sellers and the buyers so and especially because yeah now he's seller but tomorrow he's going to be a buyer totally you know i think we've talked about this before on this podcast about this notion of the rich homeless person um you know this idea that with prices having risen so much and being so relatively high uh, compared to the recent past um, that sure you can sell your, your, your quote unquote gold mine. Um, but then, you know, you have to buy a gold mine or is there anything for you to actually uh, purchase? And so, you know, there's this, this doesn't really jive with traditional economic theory, but this notion of supply begetting supply or low supply begetting low supplies is um, is sort of a perspective that we've been kicking around here, um, which says that if there isn't a lot of supply available, you're probably not going to induce a lot of new supply uh, because there just aren't the options um, for sellers to buy. And, and virtually every seller is also a buyer. Um, so I think, you know, the, the fact that we're seeing this increase in supply recently, um, I think it actually encourages others as we see the numbers creep up, encourages others to list. Then we, we just get more liquidity in the market, which means more, uh, more options for buyers. So the, the, the incremental increases in supply actually then encourage other 
other people to list, which expands supply further. That just generates or creates more liquidity in the market. Um, and you know, then we start to move back to a what I what I would describe as a healthier equilibrium for this market, which we're currently not in. Yep, exactly. That's what's happening. You mentioned the market being a bit more predictable. So are you able to sort of plan out um, a seller series of moves more easily as they sort of know uh, what to expect? Is it sort of easier to work with them? Uh, yeah. So uh, as I just said, like it's more predictable in terms of now we can kind of predict how much money you can actually get for your property before you even list it. So and then we can plan, okay, if you sell at this price, what you can afford to buy. And then we're looking at the neighborhoods and the options, what's available there. And it's getting much, much easier for everyone to understand uh, how the whole process is going to work out. So you and I talked about this, Art, a couple of days ago, um, you know, almost about how the, the housing market is a microcosm for the economy. When you have chaotic movements in prices, rapidly rising prices, very, very hard to plan around that. And when we're, when we're looking at the economy as a whole, uh, the central bank here in Canada, it doesn't want that. Um, so that's why they have inflation targets. They want stable and relatively low inflation because when we have that, it encourages predictable behaviors on the parts of households and businesses who are planning to invest and to save and to spend. It's hard to make those decisions um, when in a, in a consistent way, in a way that you feel good about when prices are rising by 5% a year or 15% a year, or maybe they're declining by 1% a year and it's, and it's unpredictable. And I think that that same sort of notion applies to the housing market where we've seen a lot of chaotic price movements. And I think it's very, very frustrating for a lot of people to um, participate in this market. Certainly as a buyer, we know that with prices rising so quickly, missing out time and time again, but also as a seller, it's difficult to know what your home is worth. Are you getting the right price for your home? You know, rising in high prices might on paper seem like a really great thing for homeowners and and specifically more specifically sellers. Um, I think that, you know, a more stable environment is better for the entire market. Sellers are half of the market, buyers are the other half. Um, so what's good for the goose isn't necessarily good for the gander in this case. And I think that we're moving into a dynamic in the market where um, a little more stability is welcome. I think we talked about this before, right? How, um, you know, selling at a high, but it's still all relative because you're also probably buying at a high too, right? So it's all goes in a, in a circle. And um, I mean, yeah, unless you're downsizing and you're not so price sensitive or you did leave the market and you go to a lower cost market. But yeah, absolutely. If you're playing within the same sandbox, really you're just selling high and then you're turning around and you're buying high. So talking about that predictability, are you seeing fewer multiple offer situations or at least fewer of those crazy 50 offers on one property people sort of rushing to get in? Is it calmed down a little bit? Yeah. So of course, depending on the property and the location, it's uh, less often when we see too many offers on the property, but still it's happening. And um, uh, on the other side, it's actually getting a little bit easier to get the buyer. Like it's easier to compete with two buyers than 20 buyers, right? So, and that's what kind of, there's a feel of slower market because there's no like such a crazy number of bids, but on the other side, um, and that's what like the stats shows that it's actually pretty high numbers of sales, uh, is that it's actually getting easier to buy. 
And for example, for me, I had like 60% of my deals as buyers. So March was very, very, very productive. And uh, um, just instead of like running around and bidding like every week with same buyers for like two months, now we go, they still have this feel and rush that they need to buy because they know what was happening. So they're not going to shop around for like three months. So they see something that they like and they place an offer and usually we win it. Yeah, so it's getting way easier for buyers as well. Well, that's good news. I've heard so many stories about really frustrated mm-hmm. buyers and buyer fatigue in this market. Well, yeah. The buyers that are fatigued have stepped aside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing because they'll eventually be rested buyers. They'll re-engage with the market at some point. So right now they may not be very active. They may not represent current demand, but likely they will eventually re-engage with the market down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually like, well, good to know. So basically end of February and March felt slower, but last few weeks actually getting busier just, I guess, uh, because people see, okay, now we can actually go back on the market. Uh, we actually can choose what we want to buy, not just like whatever is available, whether it's new or old, same price, way more than it was like a week ago. So now you actually see the neighborhood that you like, the properties that you actually wanted before all this craziness and you actually can enter the market. Yes, the prices are still higher than they used to be, but at least it's kind of more transparent. You can pay the amount of money that's like close to the asking price. So you need, don't have to overpay for that. You know, we've also talked about this notion of price compression that accompanies, that often accompanies rising prices. Um, and you know, more recently where we've seen people sort of view a detached home as a detached home, like a home is a home. They're not differentiating based on its features, whether it's 4,000 or 5,000 square feet versus 10,000 square feet as a lot, um, whether it's 10 years old or 30 years old, has four bedrooms, three bedrooms, two bedrooms. It was really just a commodification of detached housing specifically. And so then there was a going rate for a house um, and and people just kind of jumped in and went for it. And, you know, I think now we're seeing a little bit of differentiation and price decompression in the market. And so people, I think, I think there is some evidence that people are starting to pay prices for homes that reflect the underlying features, the quality, the size of the homes. And I think that is kind of the market that we want to move back to. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's, you actually can start getting this feel that, okay, this is a neighborhood for um, relatively more affordable houses. This is more expensive neighborhood because like I said, like February, March, like North Shore, for example, if you want to buy something, well, roughly, let's say 2.5 million <laughs> if you want to buy something and you're not going to even choose and like compare with like previous sales and what your friends or relatives bought like six months ago, anything like that. But like, uh, again, a few days ago, I said it. my client just bought a house in North Shore, like under 1.5, over 10,000 square feet lot, great potential, and actual house is livable, so he can either live there or rent it, which was actually the, pretty much the cheapest house <laughs> in North Shore this year. Um, but uh, on the other side, like a week later, neighbor, like, like two minutes away, less than that. So smaller lot, similar house for 1.85. So <laughs> the story is still kind of uh, yeah. not end. Yeah, yeah. It all depends on what the buyers will end up pay too, which buyer comes along, right? Yeah, for sure. And it, like even small things, as you know, like uh, buyers are emotional. So uh, homes look good, has good vibes. People are willing to pay way more than 
maybe even better home, but it's going to be vacant or tenanted where maybe it doesn't feel as good. So it affects the prices a lot. This brings us into insight number three. Expect sellers' market conditions to persist through the second quarter of 2022. So the stats are showing at 59%, the sales to listing ratio remains heavily tilted in favor of the sellers. So Ryan Wise, okay, well, we're not just talking about rising listings and increased buyer options. Um, are we not trending towards a more balanced market? Yeah, I mean, sort of. It's true that market conditions have improved for buyers, as Art was just telling us. Um, but the reality is that we're still a long ways off from being a true balanced market. You mentioned the sales to listings ratio. It's at 59% last month. So again, to remind our listeners, a balanced market is below 20% for a sales to listings ratio. So what we're talking about here um, is, is really still pretty deep seller's market territory. And we've been talking about this for a really long time. So even as the sort of short-term trend is improving, the reality is that we still have a long way to go. So as I mentioned earlier, the listings uh, total inventory from December to March was up 73%, but that starting point in December was just so low. Um, it will really take a long time to get sort of return to that average inventory level that we're still 30% below. Um, the other thing I'd like to note, we've mapped out what average sales to listings ratios in the spring market look like. So in that, going from the first quarter to the second quarter, so April, May, and June. And the long run historical average is actually still seller's market territory. Um, in this case, we're talking about sort of the low to mid 20% range, uh, which qualifies as seller's market. So even if we get back to the sort of long run average that we see here in the Vancouver region, we're still talking about a seller's market in the spring. Um, the more historical pattern is for the balanced market to come in the summertime. So we expect listings to continue to rise in the short term, but we're still seeing elevated sales. We're a week and a half in April, um, and it's sort of slowed down a bit in the first half of April, but there's, we're still talking about sort of above average sales, and we'll see how the rest of the month goes. Um, but the reality is we'll likely see that sales to listings ratio come down a bit in the sec second quarter, but still be really deep in seller's market territory. If inertia prevails over the next three to six months as it relates to sales activity, uh, inventory, prices, job growth, migration, we can pretty confidently say um, or predict, I suppose, conditions will look like down the line. I think the challenge for all of us right now, especially those of us who who deal in data on a day-to-day -day basis is to figure out whether we see, is there a canary in the coal mine uh, in short? So is there, sign, is there a sign that something is changing within our market in a material way? Um, I think we can look at interest rates, um, which you know were just increased by the Bank of Canada faster than we expected and faster than we've seen in um, you know, over 20 years. Um, how fast will those continue to increase? What impact will they have? All else being equal on purchasing power, but also on the psychology of buyers. Um, you know, we also look at things like, um, or we can consider things like, um, it seems totally detached from our market, but the war in Ukraine, you know, what does that have to do with Vancouver housing? Well, the, 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 since the, the, the beginning of the war we've seen, or right at the beginning, I suppose, a couple months ago, a big increase in commodity prices, specifically the price of wheat, uh, <laughs> indirectly then as a knock-on effect, the, the price of fertilizer. Uh, we've seen an increase in 
uh, oil and in gas. I mean, that has fed through to natural gas, but the increase in oil has fed through to retail gasoline prices as well. This isn't stuff that we necessarily saw coming a couple months ago. Um, there may have been there may have been some signs that something was about to happen, but we certainly didn't predict that that would that would that would manifest in the way that it has. And the same goes for COVID a couple of years ago, right? We didn't see that one coming, and so you make all your projections uh, based on a, a relatively um, either a stable economic environment or an environment that you that you think you understand. And then you're kind of throwing this curveball. And so that that definitely, we, we may run into some more unexpected events in the next few months. If I could predict what those were, I would, but you know, they're expected. So it's, it's unlikely that, that we're, that we're, that we have uh, lines of sight on them now, but you know, all of that, that aside, if we look at trends in the market, um, it is likely that if we see a sort of a continuation of our inventory trends and, and, and trends in sales that we will remain in this seller's market territory, uh, through Q2. The other thing we might want to talk about, or at least keep an eye on, is this uh, idea of government intervention. The federal government's announced some new policies, um, and we'll sort of touch on what, how much we think they'll impact. We're sort of, I think, all in agreement here that um, this foreign buyer ban really won't have an impact on its own. Um, but the question being that if it they're signaling, you know, the government wants to get involved, there's something wrong with the housing market and kind of letting everyone know that um, they're trying to make a change. That alone could kind of give people pause and say, you know, I want to sit back and and see what they do, see how this goes and maybe hold off on my real estate decision for a little bit. Yeah, that's where government policy is interesting. It may not have a direct impact on the market, but it can have an indirect impact um, through the perception of the intervention on the part of consumers or participants in the housing market. So, you know, Art, I'm interested to know when we when we, we talk about the foreign buyer ban at the federal level that's been proposed, um, where foreign buyers uh, would be banned from purchasing uh, residential real estate in Canada over the next two years, um, noting, noting that um, that foreign buyer group would exclude um, international students that are here, uh, temporary foreign workers that are here, anyone working towards a PR. Um, so it's really not that classic definition of a foreign buyer. Um, it's really targeting people who have very little connection to Canada, people who uh, are not Canadian citizens, who live abroad, who do not work here. Um, and when we look at the, you know, the percentage of foreign buyers that, for example, are in Metro Vancouver today, which includes some of this group that are excluded from the foreign buyer ban, like international students and, and temporary foreign workers, um, that's only 0.9% of all residential purchases most recently in this market. So it doesn't seem like directly it's going to have a major impact. So so I guess my question, Art, to you is, um, have you noticed any uh, change in the in the volume or the nature of inquiries into our market by your clients or or new clients based on this potential foreign buyer ban? It feels like it just doesn't exist. <laughs> you know, it just um, the number of and like yeah, I have quite a few people who are kind of immigrants, whether they like new immigrants or they've been here already for a while, but still um, they were not born here, so uh, they came some time ago. But even through this uh, kind of community, like I haven't heard yet from anybody who would like to like they've never been here. They just want to send I don't know like two minutes to buy something. Like never heard anything like that. Even people with money, they're willing to come here, 
uh, they have the kids who are studying here and they would like for the kids to have a place where they can live. Yes, that happens. And we should note um, that in the situation you were just describing, that if they buy that property in their kids' yeah, names, yeah. that's not subject to the ban either. Exactly. And all people who uh, work here, as I said, like, last year it was already very noticeable that so many people coming here and they have great jobs like uh, Microsoft, Amazon, and so on and so on. Like as IT companies, they earn a lot of money. But again, because they don't have PR yet, they really like very qualified for to get like condo in downtown for example but again because uh they don't have pr or uh pnp like provincial ME, they and they don't want to pay a foreign buyer tax so yes they're definitely going to come back on the market as soon as they have the documents already i'm actually very curious to see how this um, announcement will affect the foreign buyers who have already purchased for pre-sale yeah the situation where you've written your contract but you haven't yet closed on the property exactly and you're willing to pay that foreign buyers tax right and you are here what does that mean for them? So that's uh, that's something to be seen, but i um, curious as to what the result of that will be. This is low-hanging political fruit, just like the foreign buyer's tax in the first place that was implemented by the provincial government uh, in 2016 and then expanded in 2018. Um, at the end of the day, there's not a lot of people who are impacted by it, and there's not a lot of opposition to it. I think it sounds good on paper. It's fine. Um, you know, I'm, I'm all for, you know, closing loopholes if, if that's what it's aiming to do. Um, but we still have these elevated immigration targets because what we're saying to the world is, Hey, come to Canada, come work here, live here. There's opportunity for you. You'll benefit. And the rest of Canada will benefit. And I think, um, that message actually doesn't change very much. Um, you know, even with this ban, this, the so-called ban on foreign buyers, I just don't see it having a very significant impact. Yeah. I'm just smiling just because. Well, I went through that and it's not easy. <laughs> it's not so easy just to immigrate here and like uh, get the proper job or um, graduate and so on, so on. So I mean, like, there are way more people trying and not everybody is succeeding. So still, yeah, some people who have to move back, uh, but people who are actually staying here say these people are very motivated. So, and usually it's people who are coming from the countries where home ownership is um, high. So, and I think it was also in part of your presentation like a few years ago that like after five years, 70% of these people actually going to be homeowners. So, and again, another uh, part of our demand is going to be coming from all these new immigrants coming here. In today's podcast, we cover three main insights. The first being the Bank of Canada makes its next move. The second is last month's inventory was not a record for the first time in eight months. And the last insight was expect sellers' market conditions to persist through the second quarter of 2022. So Art, it was great to have you here. Is there any final advice or uh, final thoughts that you want to share with any potential home buyers or home sellers? Oh, yeah. Uh, so one of the points I just want to note is that uh, we're still very far from balanced market. Many people think that balanced market is when you don't get 20 offers on the property. But in fact, it's when uh, regular sale taking like 30, 45 days and there are properties that when you can actually go compare, come back like after a few weeks and it's still going to be available. You can negotiate the price and um, that's what kind of balanced market and we basically price property based on the recent sales and it's kind of very straightforward. So we're still very far from that. That's great points. And if um, people want to reach out to you to find out more details or information where they can reach, where can they reach you at? Yeah, sure. So 
I'm on Rainy website, Facebook, or they can just call me at 778-223-0033. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of the Rennie podcast. To dig deeper into the data, be sure to check out our latest Rennie review and our other intelligence information on rennie.com intelligence. Be the first to receive this information straight to your inbox. Register for intelligence updates. Thank you, Art. It was a pleasure to have you and join us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward for the next year. Great. Ryan Berlin, Ryan Wise, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Rennie Podcast is a Rennie production and is recorded on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, all resources mentioned in the episode can be found on rennie.com.